All right. Uh, good morning. And let's get set up. So, yeah, it is a uh, pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, uh, as uh, uh, Jerry mentioned, um, um, we, ha- we are on furlough, uh, having come from the Philippines. Uh, we arrived in December, and we're going to be here through the end of May. Uh, and as some of you may uh, have recognized in our uh, newsletter, uh, that God, in God's kind providence, um, we, uh, for different circumstances, uh, adjusted our furlough schedule. We were originally supposed to start it uh, this month uh, to begin our furlough with the uh, with the Shepherds Conference, uh, but other uh, things came up, and sometime in July or August last year, we decided to move our uh, furlough up. And that enabled us to spend some time with uh, my dad, whom the Lord took home just last month. Um, uh, and uh, he got to see, to meet, and hold uh, his uh, youngest uh, grandson. Uh, and so uh, we are so thankful for that. But just to introduce our family and our ministry, uh, you see our picture there. Uh, we are missionaries to the Philippines. Uh, we've been there since 2014. Uh, Let's see, let me just go from left to right. That is uh, my wife there, Sandy. Um, and that's Trevor with the blue glasses. The kid in the green t-shirt is Noah. Uh, the baby is Samuel. Uh, the one next to me is Trevor, I mean Jacob, and that's me on the, on the right. Um, so we've been in the Philippines since 2014. And if you're not familiar with the Philippines, it's in Southeast Asia. Um, Something you may have heard, uh, it's over 7,000 islands, right? Uh, but if you were to put all these different 7,000 islands together, uh, you'd have a landmass about a little bit bigger than the state of Arizona. So it's not a big country geographically, but uh, it does have 100 million population. That's about a third of the U.S. population. So if you can imagine taking a third of the United States and squeezing everybody into Arizona... That's how dense it is in the Philippines. So it's a very dense country. Um, And so we've been there. Our primary ministry is to uh, train and equip pastors and and church leaders uh, through the Expositors Academy. We're part of an organization called the Masters Academy International. This is a network of training centers, training schools, and seminaries uh, that do very, very much the same thing in across, I think, 17 different countries uh, where, we are, where we go and, and, and train pastors, in, primarily in expository preaching. Uh, there's a lot more to ministry, to pastoral ministry, than expository preaching, but we believe that this is foundational. Uh, and so this is the, the, the one area that we focus on to seek to impact uh, pastors. And by influencing pastors, we hope uh, that God would use that to Influence, influence churches as well. And something else with the Philippines is that um, the Philippines has been on the receiving end of missions for over 100 years now. Uh, and with that, there is a significant uh, Christian uh, witness there. So someone may ask, well, why send more missionaries to the Philippines if it's already been having, uh, receiving missionaries for over 100 years? I think that has to do with 
the nature of our ministry. Uh, we're not there to plant our own churches, but we work with uh, pastors, uh, pastors of churches, uh, and net- networks of pastors, denominations, church networks, uh, to equip their leaders. There are already leaders there and pastors there, but sadly, um, many of them are lacking in, in, in training, in sound training. And so that's the, the, the need that we are seeking to fill. Uh, and as Jerry mentioned, um, some of the pastors that, that we're working with today uh, were some of the youth people, youth ministry guys that, that, that came in when, when he was pastoring there for many years. Uh, and and uh, um, yeah, so it's it just providential uh, connection there. Um, and I think last time that we were here, uh, I was just showing them some of the pictures that we were uh, of our ministry, and it turns out one of the sites where we had training was actually a church that was pastored by Jerry many, many years ago. Uh, and so it was uh, uh, exciting to, to kind of connect the dots and see just uh, God's uh, providence in, in, in connecting with us. So uh, if you can turn to the next slide. If you would like to know more about our ministry, keep in touch with us, uh, you can take your phone and scan that. Uh, that'll take you to a sign-up form um, for our newsletter. Uh, we try to send one almost once a month, more of once every other month, sometimes once a quarter, depending on uh, the, 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 the um, flow of ministry. Uh, but uh, you can sign up for our newsletter, and we'll keep you updated about uh, the, the ministry that, that, that God is is uh, doing in and through that region. Uh, and so that was just kind of a general overview of our ministry. Uh, things changed a little bit during the pandemic. Uh, some for good, some for not so good. Some we're still waiting to see how it turns out. Uh, with regard to the training center, God has opened up far more opportunities than we ever imagined uh, that would open up with the COVID closures. Um, some of the people in different parts of the Philippines who couldn't uh, attend our, our classes, but because we had to transition online, are able to do that. Uh, but that's also been amplified internationally. We've been able to teach, as Jerry mentioned, classes in Indonesia, Myanmar, uh, Malaysia, and uh, one of our guys even uh, got to visit uh, Pakistan recently because uh, he had been working with them online for the last couple of years. And all of those opportunities uh, came in 2020, uh, when after, uh, after the, the, the pandemic started. Um, and so I'll give you more uh, detailed uh, update uh, at the lunch, if you guys are, are, are going to be going there. Uh, and so today... Uh, Gonna have a, I have a message that's um, I gave at our church uh, just outside of Manila last year, uh, and it's about um, uh, the essential commitments for the Great Commission. Uh, we know from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, that our Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, but how do we go about doing that? And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at the book of Acts. So it's going to be more of a survey of selected passages in Acts, uh, seeing how the apostles, who were the first-generation missionaries, uh, how they carried out the Great Commission. And so, you know, since the pandemic started a couple years ago, the word essential has has become a key word, right? 
especially during the height of the lockdowns, if your source of livelihood was deemed essential, then you could continue working. If it wasn't deemed essential, in the Philippines, you're kind of out of luck, right? Um, And today, uh, something that is essential is something that even at the risk of danger, something that still needs to be done, something that has to be done, regardless of the cost, regardless of the risk. And today, we'll look at the essential commitments for the Great Commission. And these are the commitments that as we look through the book of Acts, we see that the apostles held on to firmly. These were their core commitments as they sought to carry out the Great Commission from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, in Matthew 28, we know that our main task, our main mission in the Great Commission is to make disciples. But how do we do that? Right? If you read through missions literature, there is no shortage of ideas uh, about how to carry out the Great Commission, different types of ministries you can be involved with. Well, how do we know that what we are embracing, that what we are getting involved with is actually in line with the Great Commission. Well, that's what we hope to learn today. And in our survey of Acts, we'll see five essential commitments for carrying out the Great Commission. These are five commitments that, are, that we see the, the apostles um, cling to, hold on to, as they were uh, seeking to be witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, in uh, Samaria, Uh, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Um, And these five essential commitments are as follows. Commitment to the church, commitment to the word, commitment to preaching, commitment to discipleship, and commitment to Christ. So we'll look at these each in turn. So first we'll look at commitment to the church. The local church is God's designated hub for carrying out the Great Commission. The local church is God's designated hub for carrying out the, the Great Commission. It is through the local church that the Great Commission will be carried out. This is how God designed it. Uh, look at this pattern in Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, we read of the birth of the church, right? During the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, Peter preaches a, a strong sermon and thousands get saved that day. And the church is, comes to life is birth in, in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the church grows and matures, and even in the face of persecution, it continues to grow and mature. And as, it, as the church underwent persecution, that helped the church spread out. Uh, there was persecution in Jerusalem, and because of the persecution in Jerusalem, uh, the church spread out, and this is how the church ends up in Antioch, Antioch, Syria, just north of Israel. Uh, and... In Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. And Paul has three missionary journeys. The first journey focuses on the southern area of the Roman province of Galatia. This is uh, in Acts 13 and 14. The second missionary journey focuses on Macedonia, Acts 15 through 18. The third missionary journey focuses on the province of Asia with a particular emphasis on the city of Ephesus, Acts 18 through 21. In each of these missionary journeys, the pattern of Paul is very consistent. He starts by preaching the gospel in the synagogues, which as a rabbi, he was do that until he would be rejected or kicked out by the Jews, by the Jewish leaders. Uh, 
After that happens, he would continue to preach the gospel in the same city with a, in an alternate location. Someone's house, uh, they would rent out a school, a uh, school of Tyrannus in, in, in Ephesus, for example. And in each of these cities where disciples were made, he would establish, he would plant churches. And these churches, in turn, participated in Paul's mission, in the Great Commission. They would do that uh, first by, uh, as the gospel spread through their own witness and their own evangelistic efforts, uh, but also they would send workers with Paul, like Timothy from Derby and Epaphroditus from, from, from Philippi. Take, take into consideration, for example, some of the cities that we read of in Acts. Uh, Philippi. Uh, Paul goes to Philippi in his second missionary journey, Acts 16. Uh, the first European convert, uh, we read about that uh, in Acts 16, uh, Lydia. He had a very impactful ministry in this city, so much so that he was opposed by the city magistrates, right? He was framed uh, and they were um, imprisoned by the city magistrates and overnight, there was, they, they were supernaturally released, delivered from the prison, right? This is how the, uh, the prison guard was saved, him and his household, right? Remember that from, from Acts 16? And this was uh, the beginning of the church in Philippi. A few months, a year later, when he writes to this church in Philippians 1, uh, 3 through 5, we read this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the very beginning, this church at this point was around at most a year old when he when he writes the, the letter to the Philippians. Um, Paul considered them a partner in, in, in the gospel ministry. They were partners with him in the Great Commission. Um, this church also sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to minister to Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome at the end of Acts. Uh, the city of Ephesus. Uh, Paul visited Ephesus for a short time toward the end of his second missionary journey, but it was the main focus of his third missionary, missionary journey, uh, spending a total of three years there. And for two years, Paul taught at the school of Tyrannus. Uh, which would have been a lecture hall, school hall that was available during the afternoons. Uh, and he would have been able to teach here freely, unhindered by opposition from the Jews. And the result we read of in Acts 19 verse 10 says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, it couldn't have been that every resident of the province of Asia went to the school of Tyrannus to be taught by Paul. What this probably implies is that uh, the church, the, the believers who make up the church in Ephesus, their lives were changed, and people noticed their changed lives, and they would themselves be witnessing about Jesus. And related to Ephesus is the city of Colossae. Paul did not, did not plant the church in Colossae. He never went to Colossae. Colossae is in the same province as, as, as Ephesus in the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. The church in Colossae was planted by Epaphras, who likely got saved during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. In other words, the church of Colossae 
was a fruit, a byproduct of the ministry in Ephesus, right? So uh, we see churches planting churches. We see churches, church plants uh, in modern-day standards, uh, immersed and completely engaged in the Great Commission, witnessing to their local communities, uh, training their own, sending their own to be with Paul, and, and thereby partnering with Paul in his missions to, uh, to the end of the world, right? Uh, to, to, to evangelize the Gentiles. So Paul, what we see here is he, he did not stop at evangelism. Evangelism was just the beginning for him. He wanted to see disciples grow into maturity, and in order for that to happen, he planted churches. These churches in turn joined him in the ministry of the gospel by sending co-laborers with him and by engaging in evangelism and church planting themselves. And so we see here that the church is God's designated hub for carrying out the Great Commission. God encoded missions into the DNA of the church. A church that is truly a church, a church that is what it is supposed to be, a church that is, that is uh, existing as God intended it to be, will be a church that is engaged in missions. Missions is not just a department or a sub-ministry of the church. Missions is part of the essence of the church. It is part of its being. Its birth in Acts 2 marks uh, the beginning of the carrying out of the Great Commission, and the work of the Great Commission continues in and through churches today. So that's commitment to the church. Commitment, essential commitment that we see in Acts is a commitment to the Word. The Word of God is God's designated playbook for carrying out the Great Commission. You see, we are not free to carry out the Great Commission any way that we see fit, right? Because the Great Commission is to make disciples of all the nations, right? And teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. We are not uh, at liberty to carry out the Great Commission in any way that we want. In the same way, similar way, that we are not at liberty to worship God in any way that we want. Just look at what happened to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. They deviated from how God wanted to be worshipped, and they paid dearly for it, right? It did not end well for them. And for this, you can turn to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, uh, you'll remember, uh, this is the account of the Jerusalem Council. And just to give you a little background, uh, the church at this point was entering uncharted territory. Uh, initially, the very first generation of the church, the very first group of converts that made up the New Testament church was 100% Jewish. Our Savior is Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. The church was birthed at the capital of the Jews, Jerusalem, uh, during a Jewish festival, the Feast of Pentecost, Right? So everybody was Jewish. But by the time we get to Acts 15, as persecution drove some of the apostles out and they were beginning to uh, make disciples of all the nations, uh, Gentiles had been getting, started to get saved. And so there was a, an, an issue for uh, the Jewish, the, the, the church, which at this point was still majority made up of Jews. Um, and the, the, the core issue that they were dealing with was what, how does someone get saved, right? Because all of them were, had a Jewish background, so all the Jewish laws and everything, 
the, the, the fundamental question that they were wrestling with was, what does someone need to do? What must a person do to be saved? Does someone, does a Gentile, somebody who, who is not Jewish, must they first convert to Judaism, the circumcision and going under the, the law of Moses, before they can become followers of Christ? And for us, we may, as, as, as modern-day Christians, we may think that that's kind of a silly question. But for them, again, up until this point, uh, everyone that they knew at the church had the same Jewish background as them. And now Gentiles, who Jews were isolated from, uh, were now coming into the church. So what were they to do about this? And what we see the, the, the early church did was they went to the Word of God. Uh, in Acts 15, verses 6 through 11, uh, it says here that both the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them this Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke that which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we must believe, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So Peter gave his uh, testimony of, of what he saw was happening in his ministry. Uh, in 5.12, it says that all the multitudes kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Peter gave his testimony of what was happening in and through his ministry. Paul did the same thing of what he saw uh, God was doing in his ministry. And James, uh, half-brother of our Lord, gives this ass- assessment starting in verse 13. It says, Now after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen booth of David and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. And that is a quote from Amos 9, 11, and 12. So when it became clear to the apostles that what Peter had experienced and what Paul had experienced with regard to the salvation of Gentiles, when they saw that this was consistent with what the Old Testament said, what the prophet said in the Old Testament, the solution became clear. James concludes in uh, verse 19, He says, therefore, I judge that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from sexual immorality and from what is strangled from blood and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has those preach him, has those who preach him in every city since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So in other words, Uh, The Gentiles don't have to observe the Old Testament law. They don't have to convert to Judaism before they can become Christians, right? Um, Salvation is for Jews and Gentiles, and the way of salvation is the same through faith. 
The Jews were saved through faith. Gentiles are saved through faith. And uh, there is no extra step required for non-Jews. Now, the, the abstaining from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from uh, what has been strangled, and from blood, these are, um, these are practices that were issued so, that, so as not to cause the Jewish believers to stumble. Uh, but it is not their way of salvation. It is so that the church, Jew and Gentile, can have fellowship together. Uh, that's the purpose of those restrictions. But the way of salvation is the same. And the point in all of this is that when the young church encountered an unfamiliar problem, where did they go to find guidance? Where did they go to find the solution? They went to the Word of God. They evaluated their experiences through the Word of God. Peter gave his testimony, but it wasn't his testimony that sealed the deal for them. Paul gave his testimony, but it wasn't Paul's experience that sealed the deal for them. What made it clear what direction they should take was the Word of God. They evaluated their experiences, they evaluated their testimonies through the lens of Scripture. And when uh, the solution from the Word of God became clear. Well, the solution became clear as well. And as we seek out to carry out the, 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 the Great Commission and make disciples, we will undoubtedly run into situations that we've never been into before. In fact, the church for the last two years has been in a situation that many of us have never been in before, right? Well, the churches that have been... There have been churches that have grown over the last two years. And, and by the providence of God and the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God, the right churches have been growing in the last two years, right? Because the churches that have been following the Word of God, the churches that have been trusting the Word of God, the churches that have been committed to the Word of God over the last two years, they're the ones that, even today, are probably healthier, stronger than even before the pandemic. The ones that are wavering in their commitment to, to the word, sadly, they're the ones that, that are struggling, right? So commitment to the word, uh, one of the essential commitments for carrying out the Great Commission. Thirdly, commitment to preaching. Preaching is God's ordained means of building up his people. The Old Testament prophets were preachers. Jesus was a preacher. The apostles were preachers. Those mentored by the apostles, such as Timothy and Titus, were preachers. The book of Acts begins and ends with preaching. Uh, Acts 2 records the birth of the church. It was birthed after Peter's sermon on Pentecost. And the uh, main message of Peter's sermon was that Jesus is the Messiah, proven by, as proven by the events surrounding his life, death, and resurrection, and that these were all consistent with Old Testament prophecy. And Peter's sermon on Pentecost was very pointed. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was very direct in confronting their sin. And he also had a very clear call to action. They were to repent. And the result, verse 41, 3,000 souls were saved that day. That's the beginning of the book of Acts. The, the end of Acts, Acts 28, in verse 23, 
we see that Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest, waiting for his court appointment with Caesar. Right? He ends up in Rome because as he was being targeted by the Jews, he makes an appeal as a Roman citizen to be heard by Caesar, to make his case with Caesar. And so as a Roman citizen, he had this privilege, he had this right. And so they get him to, to Rome uh, through many adventures, right? Um, through shipwreck and, 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 and everything. Uh, but at the end of Acts, he is in, in, at the end of the book of Acts, he made it to Rome and he's under arrest, uh, not in a dungeon, but more in a, his own apartment, uh, more like a house arrest as he is waiting his hearing with, uh, with Caesar. He was free to receive visitors. And so he called the, the Jews in Rome and set a day where he could address them. And it says here, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he spent a whole day with them, expounding from the Old Testament how Jesus is the Messiah from morning to evening. The result in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So the book of Acts begins and ends with preaching. And there are at least 10 recorded sermons in Acts. Acts chapter 2, Peter on, the, on Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, Peter after healing the lame beggar. Acts chapter 4, Peter to the, Jew, to the Jewish religious leaders. Acts chapter 7, Stephen before he was stoned to death. Acts 13, Paul at the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. Acts 15, James at Jerusalem Council, which we read already. Acts 17, Paul at Mars Hill. Acts 22, Paul before the mob in Jerusalem. Acts 24, Paul before Felix. And Acts 26, Paul before Agrippa. Some common elements of these sermons, there's an exposition, explanation of the Old Testament Uh, There's a focus on Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and that he is the Messiah. And there's always a call for repentance, a confrontation of sin, and a warning for disbelief. And there are many more references to preaching and acts. These aren't recorded sermons, but but, uh, preaching was mentioned. Acts 5.42, every day in the temple from house to house, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that, Jesus, that, Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. Acts chapter 6, the apostles prioritized the ministry of the word and prayer. Acts 20, verse 7 through 12, uh, Paul preached from dinner through midnight and Eutychus fell asleep and fell to his death, but Paul miraculously brought him back to life. And so we see all over the book of Acts that the apostles were committed to preaching. And their commitment to preaching is consistent with the Lord Jesus Christ's commitment to preaching. From Mark 1, we read about when after preaching uh, at the synagogue uh, during a Sabbath, and when the sun came down, uh, he healed everybody in the city from the evening. Uh, And early in the morning, he, he went out to pray, and a whole, a big crowd gathered because Jesus healed everybody in the city, and they wanted more. Uh, His disciples went looking out for him, and when they found him, this is what Jesus says to them in Mark 1.38. He says, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Jesus was committed to preaching. The apostles were committed to preaching. 
And this is Paul's charge to Timothy, right? In his last epistle, 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How did the people respond to apostolic preaching? Many believed, as we've read, but many also rejected. How people responded were never under the control of the apostles. And how people respond to preaching today is outside of our control either. But what is clear is that the church, the people of God, are called to be committed to sound preaching. Now, this might, the application of this would be really clear if you are called to preach, right? The application is very clear to Pastor Phil. But what if you're not on the preaching rotation at this church? How can you show your commitment to preaching when you're not a preacher? Well, number one, be teachable, right? Come prepared on Sundays to receive instruction, not just Sundays, but any opportunity you have, whether it's a midweek Bible study or a, or a, a time in the Word, come teachable. And part of being teachable is not just passively receiving information, but be like the Bereans, engage with Scripture, right? Don't just passively receive instruction, uh, but see for yourself in your own study of God's Word that what you were taught is indeed consistent with the message of the Bible, right? And, and Paul commends the Bereans for that. So you may not be called to be a pastor, you may not be called to be a preacher, but you are called to be, as a disciple of Christ, to be a learner of Christ. You are a student of His Word. And as such, even though you're not a preacher, you are still called to be committed to biblical preaching. Fourthly, commitment to discipleship. Discipleship is the main focus of God's commission to His church. Uh, Discipleship involves sharing the gospel to those who don't know Christ, but it also involves nurturing Christians unto spiritual maturity, teaching teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And God has ordained the church to be the primary setting where believers are to be discipled unto spiritual maturity. Acts 2.42 gives us discipleship in one verse. And they devoted themselves, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, The apostles' teaching we have preserved for us in the Word of God, in the Bible, Fellowship, sharing in life, learning from one another, bearing one another's burdens, confessing sin to one another, helping one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Lord's Supper, remembering the sacrifice of of, of Jesus on our behalf, and prayers for one another, for for the church, for opportunities to evangelize, for the salvation of of, of specific unbelievers. This is discipleship in one verse. Acts 2.42. And Paul, who is the prototype missionary, was not content to evangelize or even just lead people to Christ. This was just the beginning for him. He was committed to the spiritual maturity of believers. This is why he planted churches. His motivation for the second missionary journey in Acts 15.36 says, he tells uh, Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. He was concerned for how the believers were maturing in their walk with Christ. Colossians 1.28, Paul writes, 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. His goal was not just to lead people to Christ. He wanted to lead people to Christ so that these people who, who were led to Christ would then become more and more like Christ, would mature in their Christ-likeness. And Paul intentionally trained believers to become co-laborers in the ministry. Listen to who made up Paul's team in Acts 20, verse 4. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Darby, and Timothy, and the Asian, Tychicus and Trophimus, right? Uh, Paul's team was, was made up of, of members of, of the churches that, 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 that he planted. These were cities that, that were his stops in his missionary journeys. And as these churches matured, as the believers in these churches matured, they were able to raise up co-laborers with, with Paul. And so discipleship is a key element. And, and this goes hand in hand with the commitment to the church because it is through the church that disciples are matured. Uh, negative example. Uh, so one of the negative uh, consequences of, of, of the lockdown, uh, just in, in our context, um, our church has had very, very limited in-person gatherings, so very limited uh, fellowship, very limited discipleship. And just, just in recent weeks, recent months, some of the Facebook chatter, even with some of our members, has become a lot more fleshly, right? Uh, a, lot, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of the flesh being let out uh, by way of Facebook rants. Um, and this is, some of these people haven't had fellowship for two years. Uh, haven't been in discipleship relationship for two years. Uh, church and discipleship, it goes hand in hand. Uh, but the last commitment that we'll look at is commitment to Christ. Jesus is the one who, having all authority in heaven and earth, issued the Great Commission. And because of this, commitment to Him is crucial for carrying out the Great Commission. Commitment to Christ is the one commitment to rule all of the other commitments. Devotion to Jesus is what holds the other commitments together, right? We commit to the church whose head is Jesus. We commit to the Word of God, which points to Jesus. We commit to biblical preaching, which focuses on Jesus. We commit to discipleship, wherein believers become more and more like Jesus. The Christian life is fundamentally about Jesus. Followers of Christ were first called Christians uh, because it meant of the party of Christ. Originally, this was a negative term, but... Uh, it has become a positive term. This is who we are. We are of the party of Christ. And commitment to Christ is what will propel us to endure hardships as we seek to carry out the Great Commission. In Acts 5, we read of uh, a trial that the early church encountered, right? Multitudes were coming to faith in Christ. Um, the high priest, along with the Sadducees, had the apostles arrested. God miraculously released him from prison, and an angel told them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of, his, of this life. So the next day, they did as they were told. Right? And the Jewish council was enraged and wanted to kill them. But Gamaliel, a Pharisee, talked them down from, from killing them. Instead, they had the, uh, 
they summoned the apostles and had them flogged, the 39 lashes. Uh, 39 because they thought that 40 would kill someone. And they charged them not to speak about Jesus and let them go. Verse 40. Listen to how the apostles responded. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They were committed to Jesus. In Acts 20, verse 17, Paul, talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. And with tears, with trials, what happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What, Paul, what motivated Paul to remain faithful in a hostile environment was Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. More than anything else, Paul was committed to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The desire for Christ was greater than anything else for Paul. Commitment to Christ enabled the apostles to endure hardship and persecution in the course of carrying out the Great Commission. And this is consistent with Paul's writing elsewhere, right? In, in Philippians uh, Philippians 3, whatever I gained, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ, right? Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? For Paul, the point of life is Jesus. The meaning of life is Jesus. Jesus defined Paul. Paul finds his meaning, his purpose in his relationship with Jesus, So we must be committed to him as our Lord, our master, our savior, our king, our all in all, so that we can faithfully carry out the great commission. As we seek to be witnesses for Christ, uh, particularly in, in the environment that we are in right now, there will be opposition, right? There will be hardship. There will be problems. Where do we get the conviction to remain faithful in the midst of persecution, in Christ. It all comes from Christ. It's all about him. Whatever suffering we have to endure this side of heaven, Jesus is worth it. And so, just by way of summary, these are the essential commitments for the Great Commission, right? Commitment to the church, commitment to the word, commitment to preaching, commitment to discipleship, commitment to Christ. Um, a more exhaustive look through Acts might reveal more important commitments, but these are at least the essential ones. And before we conclude, I just want to say this. If you are not in Christ, none of what I have said applies to you. Because if you are not in Christ, you cannot commit to the church. Because if you are not in Christ, you are not part of the church. If you are not in Christ, you cannot commit to the word because, as Jesus said in one of his parables, your heart may be one of the soils that did not yield fruit. If 
you are not in Christ, you cannot commit to preaching because, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, the God of this world, blinds your mind, keeping you from understanding the gospel of the glory of Christ. If you are not in Christ, you cannot commit to discipleship because discipleship is about becoming more and more like Christ. If you are not in Christ, you are not like Christ. But if you are not in Christ, there is good news. Because Jesus accomplished what none of us could ever accomplish, and that is to satisfy and fulfill all of God's righteous commands. And Jesus, by his love, by his grace, by his mercy, in God's appointed time, offered himself, as, offered himself up as a sacrifice to take the place of all who would believe in him. And so if you are not in Christ, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, I want to tell you that there is hope there is forgiveness, there is joy, there is satisfaction in Christ. He came to do what you could not, to make you righteous, to make you an adopted son or daughter of God. This is the gospel. This is why commitment to Christ is foundational to all of this. Before you can commit to any of these, you must be committed to Christ. Over the last couple of years, I've seen a lot of Facebook profiles, particularly from Christians, that says church is essential. And that is true. But so is the Word of God. So is preaching. So is discipleship. And most of all, Christ. Christ is essential. So let's pray that uh, as we commit to these five commitments, that God would continue to grow uh, this church to be a hub of the Great Commission. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that you have left for us, given us in your word. And I pray that you would work in and through this body of believers that Gold Country Baptist would indeed be a hub of the Great Commission. Um, bearing witness to this community and beyond sending laborers, co-laborers for the gospel to different parts of the world, Lord. May your name be magnified through this local congregation. We pray this in your son's most precious name. Amen.